Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 is our text. And I want to give you a sermon entitled, uh, <laughs> Don't Lean There. Don't Lean There. I looked at the screen because I had written something slightly different on top of this paper. And so, uh, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Now, the book of Proverbs is written by the wisest man to ever live, second to Jesus Christ, a man named King Solomon. King Solomon was uh, the, the, he was the, probably the, the fifth or, no, he was the last son of King David. And when he became king, uh, on the day of his dedication to the Lord, um, he dedicated a temple to the worship of Jehovah. He prayed and he said, he said, Lord, help me, give me wisdom to govern this great people. Help me to know how to do it. And the Lord said to him, because you have not asked for yourself riches and power and favor, I'm going to give you what you want. And so God gave Solomon a lot of wisdom. And so when you turn to the middle part of the Bible, you'll find what's called the wisdom literature. And that includes the book of Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And this is, these are the, the, wisdom, the wisdom literature. Now, within these books of the Bible, there's a lot of very wise and profound sayings. You could say the book of Proverbs is one, a book of maxims for life, a book of principles for life. And here in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the, the man Solomon gives us some tremendous advice. Listen to what it says. This is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Of course, the old authorized version says, and he will direct thy paths. Now let's make a prayer together. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I give this sermon. I'm not quite sure how to give it. and You know, Lord, I'm not really sure this is the right sermon for the day. But nevertheless, I think you've led me to it. And I pray that you would bless it to your people. And I pray that from these words of the wise, which descend not from Solomon, but descend from you through Solomon to us. I pray that these, my friends, Lord, would profit from your word, that they would leave here with a keener, deeper understanding of of you. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious and glorious name. Amen. I don't know when I first memorized this section of scripture. Have you ever thought about it? How many of you guys have ever intentionally memorized any scripture? Anybody had a memory verse, you had to memorize it, and that's a lot of us. How many of you have unintentionally memorized scripture? And that's a lot of us too. I mean, I don't remember consciously having a little card or a, a memory book and, and trying to memorize these two verses, but I did. And I know that when I did memorize them, I did not know what they meant. I didn't fully understand them. But I know that now, over the years of being a Christian, of studying God's Word and serving the Lord and just, and just living, I have come to understand the true meaning of this Scripture. 
And it has been a never-failing, constant source of comfort to me. And by God's grace, I want to make it be such for you today. Now, this text of Scripture is fairly straightforward. And I just want to point out the key phrases in it. The first phrase we encounter here are those words, trust in the Lord. The word trust means a firm belief in the reliability, truth, or ability, or strength of someone or something. Trust in the Lord. Now, my kids hate it when I use this illustration because I've used it for years. You guys are all demonstrating trust right now in the chair that you're sitting in. Because when you walked into this sanctuary, you looked around and thought, oh, there's an empty chair. And you parked yourself there with confidence, didn't you? How many of you looked at that chair and thought, is it going to hold me? Anybody? Did anybody kick the legs to see if they're good? Dink, dink. Nobody did that. You just walked in and plump. I'm sorry, not plump. You walked in and whoosh. <laughs> You just sat down, and you're sitting there now, suspended between heaven and earth in that chair, putting trust in that chair. You're trusting the reliability of that chair. You're trusting the strength of that chair. You're trusting the ability of that chair to do its job. You are trusting it to keep you where you are. And so Solomon says, trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. Put your confidence, put your self in him, trust in the Lord. Now, the Greek Septuagint translation of the Old Testament translates from the Greek this word a little bit differently, this, this phrase. The Greek Septuagint version can be translated thusly. Convince your heart completely to trust in God. Convince your heart completely to trust in God. Now, I find myself having to do that all the time. I have to convince my heart to trust God. I have to talk myself into trusting God. I have to convince my own inner self that I can trust in God, and that I can trust God, and that God can be trusted. I have to convince myself that He can be trusted. Now, you do that in a couple ways. First of all, is you convince yourself you trust to trust in God by looking at God's Word and seeing what God's Word says. And then you have experience. From this day here, I can stand here today, whatever day this is, uh, May 7th, 2023, I, I can look back across my life and I can point to moments and say, the Lord was trustworthy then, He was trustworthy then, He was trustworthy then, He was trustworthy then, He was trustworthy yesterday, and as I get today, I can say, the Lord is still trustworthy. I have to convince myself of that sometimes. Because sometimes my life takes turns I don't expect. Things come up that I wasn't planning on. Situations arise in my life and I don't know quite how it's going to work out. Lord, are you sure that you're going to be able to take care of this? Are you sure you're going to be able to handle this? Am I sure, God, that I can trust you with that? Lacey is learning to drive and she's doing a great job. A great job. Her driving has improved just every time she gets behind the wheel. She's more comfortable, you know, more confident, more in control. She just gets better with every passing day. But every once in a while, 
I find myself wanting to leap across and not grab the wheel, but hit the brake. <laughs> now, I remember when I first took my, my oldest son, Mitchell, the first time I took him for a drive. I said, Mitchell, you ready to drive? He's like, yeah. And, and I, I should have remembered something about, about Mitchell, because the first time Mitchell ever, we ever, I ever rode a four-wheeler with Mitchell, Mitchell's in the front, and I'm on the back. He was about, how old was Mitchell when we moved to Oklahoma? He was 10 years old, a little younger than Matt. I put Mitchell on the front of the four-wheeler, you know, in front of me, and I'm sitting on the back of it. And I said, you want to drive? Yeah. And I said, now that little thumb thing, that's the gas. And that little squeezy thing, that's the brake. And he said, okay. And I said, now, you ready? He said, yeah. I kunk, put it in gear, and he hit the gas. Do you think he went a little way or all the way? Floored it, buddy. We're doing a wheelie. We're doing a wheelie. (laughs) Right then I realized when he gets a car, it's going to be wild. Fast forward six years later, there he is behind the wheel of my Buick van. I said, let's go for a ride around the neighborhood. I said, now make a right right here. Okay. He makes a right. and And I said, stop, stop, stop. Because we were in somebody's yard. Over the curb, into the yard. You think something in his brain would have said, This ain't the way to go. <laughs> now, uh, so, you, you have to learn to trust. Because after that, you know, he's driven me many miles after that. And I've watched him get better over the years. So he's a wonderful driver. I could fall asleep with Mitchell driving now because I, I, I've tried to learn to trust him. He's gotten better. God doesn't, we don't have to, we have to learn to trust God. We have to convince ourselves that God can be trusted. We have to reassure our heart that God does indeed have this situation in hand. We often have to confirm ourselves. We often have to calm our hearts and mind telling ourselves that God does indeed have this. Now I want to ask you this question this morning. Who are you trusting in? Are you trusting in God? If you are trusting in God, the natural, the natural response to that from yourself would be to relax. Because if you're trusting in God, based on what we know of God's character and God's purposes, you can trust that God is going to do the best thing for you in your life. My friends, before the world was made, God had already decided what he was going to do in the world to come. And my friend Don Fortner said it like this. He said, there is no difference between what comes to pass in time and what was purposed by our God in eternity. Now, I realize the implications to this. Some of them are just tasteful to our minds. But that's the truth of Scripture. We have to learn to trust the plan and purpose of God. Are you really trusting in God? Now, I want you to know that you can rest in God's providential workings in your life. Not everything that God brings into our life is pleasant. Some things are not pleasant. But everything that comes into your life is is by God's providential plan, by His purposeful intentions. And God's purpose... While not always known to us, it will be fulfilled. 
My friend Don Fortner also said, A God whose purpose can be defeated, or whose will can be thwarted, whose work can be overturned, whose grace can be frustrated, is no God at all. If God has a purpose and a plan for your life, He's going to fulfill it. He's going to fulfill it. If He can't fulfill it, Don says He's not much of a God. Because the God who's omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, He can do what he chooses to do and he will do. And we have to learn to rest in that. Because life, we have to learn to trust him because we don't know everything. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to God. There are things we don't know about. But the things that are revealed belong to us. We have to trust him. Trust him. Secondly, Solomon says here, Do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord and don't lean or rest on what you can understand. Have you ever leaned on something that couldn't hold your weight and it gave way and let you get hurt? Leaned on the wrong thing? In the Old Testament, Israel was told not to trust in Egypt because Egypt is like a smoking flax. It's like a burning piece of straw, like a cattail that's weak. Don't lean on a cattail, it'll let you down. Instead, he says, lean on me. Lean on the oak that is Jehovah. Now, my friends, we have to be careful that we don't lean on our own understanding. If you lean on your own understanding, that's what will happen to you. You are going to get hurt. You're going to fall. You're going to be frustrated when you lean on your understanding of the whys and wherefores of this world. H.B. Charles says, we have this phrase... In Proverbs 3, verse 5, because God does not want you to allow your finite mind to cause you to mistrust Him. God doesn't want you to let your finite mind, with your limited understanding, to cause you to not trust Him. Because your mind will talk you out of trusting God. Now, I'm a Christian, and I've been a Christian for a long time. And I'm a student of the Bible. And my mind tries to convince me not to trust God all the time. Situations come up in your home, in your family, in your life, and you think, well, I got to do something. Whenever my kids do something they shouldn't do, or you know, things that kind of get kind of out of whack at the, at the house, the first thing I, in my mind is time to lay down the law. Time to tighten it up. It's time to make their lives hell. I'm going to take away their phones. I'm going to take away their car. I'm going to take away their debit cards. I'm going to show them how bad it can really be. That'll fix them. Right? (laughs) Of course it ain't going to fix anything. But that's what we think. We just got to tighten it up. And I have to relax and say, okay, I have to trust God with these things. God is at work in their hearts and lives. God is at work in the world in which I live. My mind just wants me to trust God. I was, uh, okay. So I play basketball on Tuesdays and Thursdays at the rec center. And if any of you... Men are available on, Thursday, on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 11 
to 12, we play basketball down there. It'd be great to have you come and play. It'd be great. Now, I say it to you in that way because we've been suffering from a serious lack of attendance at what's called noon ball. So I've been down there more than once recently and just been one or two guys show up. And so it's not as much fun to play, you know, one-on-one as it's to play five-on-five or four-on-four. And so uh, we need more people down there. And I told one of the guys, I said, you know, if this was a, if this was a church and attendance started falling off, we'd start having prayer meetings. <laughs> so maybe we could have prayer meetings for basketball. <laughs> isn't that, I know, it's weird, isn't it? You're, like, you're such a nut. I, yes. I just want to play basketball. <laughs> That's all. I want to, I want to, all the things I want to do in life are the following. I want to, I want to spend my life with Valerie. I want to preach, fish, and play basketball. <laughs> this, this is all I want to do. So, when there's things beyond your control, you have to trust God. Your mind will tell you you can't trust God. You have to do something. You, ha- you have to get involved here. Your mind will say God cannot be trusted. Your mind will cause you to disbelieve God's power to do whatever he pleases. And your mind will tell you this is too impossible or it's too late for God to do anything. Remember in John chapter 11 when Lazarus was sick and when Jesus showed up four days after Lazarus had died, Mary said to him, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. If you'd gotten down here, this, we wouldn't be in this situation because Mary and Martha, they both felt like God can't do anything here. You can't do anything here, Jesus, but what does Jesus say? Do you believe that I'm the resurrection and the life? Mary says, yes, Lord, I believe. And he says, okay. And they go down to Lazarus' grave and he raises Lazarus from the dead. Your mind will try to convince you not to trust in God. So don't lean on your own understanding. Trust in Him. Trust in the Lord. And do not lean on your understanding of your dealing with it, of your figuring out ways. Trust in God. God's ways, plans, and purposes are according to His wisdom and His power, and you're not going to understand His ways all the time. Listen to Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11. The Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God says, my ways are unknowable. But you can, be, you can rest assured that my ways are going to come to pass. My purpose will be fulfilled. And he uses an illustration here of how water works. Water and snow come from heaven. Can you believe the Bible says that? Snow comes from heaven? It can't come from the real heaven, can it? But it comes from heaven. 
It comes on the earth and doesn't go back. It waters the earth. And the seeds that are in the ground, they grow. I am always amazed at people who have gardens. They plant seeds. And I see Mike Ekins over here. Mike, have you started making your garden yet? You got some seeds in the ground out there? Inside. He's got them in the ground. And when we long, they'll be outside. And it's kind of, I can remember helping my grandpa plant seed, sweet corn. Put that little seed down there in the ground and cover it over. And then maybe 14 days, 21 days later, go out there and be a little bit of green poking through the ground. And now I think, wow, that's cool. And then go back to, to his house at the end of summer because I didn't want to visit my grandpa until the end of summer because if I went during the summer, he'd make me weed the garden. So you want to go back toward the end of summer when all you can do is just eat from the garden, right? And there would be that little seed had been transformed into a mighty stalk of corn. And on it are these ears of corn filled with kernels. How can this be? This is God's glorious ways. And God says, this is how it is with my word. My word goes forth and it accomplishes what I want it to do. Now, in the Bible, in Acts chapter number 12, there's a story about the early church where the apostle Peter had been arrested by King Herod. And the church wants to see Peter get out of prison, and so the church is praying. Now, when Peter was arrested, it says that Herod had decided to kill him at an, after a certain feast. And if you look at, and so the church sees Peter get arrested, and they know Peter's going to be killed. That's what Herod said is going to happen to Peter. Peter's going to get his head cut off. And so the church gets together and they start praying. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says they pray for about 10 or 12 days. So day one they pray, no answer. Day two they pray, no answer. Day three, no answer. They pray and pray and pray until there is no answer. But if you look at uh, Acts chapter 12, verse number 6, it says that on the night before Herod is going to bring Peter out to be killed, the night before at the last moment, guess what God does? God sends an angel and delivers Peter from prison at the very last second. Lloyd-Jones, he says, why would God wait to the very last second? Why would God make them wait 12 days? Lloyd-Jones says, read the rest of the chapter. During that 12 days, something happened between Herod and the people who are at Caesarea. And so Herod winds up going down to Caesarea to take care of some business because they were upset with him. He goes down there to fix them. And when he gets down there, the people see Herod dressed in his glorious clothing, and Herod gives a speech. And they say, Behold, it's the voice of a god. And Herod, instead of saying, you know, don't call me God, Herod accepts their adulation, and he accepts their worship, and the Bible says his intestines fall out of his body. And he dies right in front of them. Lloyd-Jones says, this is all part of God's purpose. God delays to answer the church's prayer. God was going to answer their prayer the first night they prayed, but he delays to answer their prayer because something else has to take place. This disturbance in Caesarea that's going to take Herod down there where Herod's going to die. Because if Herod still lives when Peter gets out of prison, what's Herod going to do? He's going to hunt for Peter and try to catch him and put him back in prison. And Lloyd-Jones says, this is 
the mystery of God's providential workings, that God is working in ways we do not understand, but God can be trusted. God can be trusted. Now, trusting God and not our own understanding doesn't mean that everything will be pleasant for us. It doesn't mean that everything that's going to happen in our life is going to make us happy. But it does mean that what happens will be according to God's purpose, according to God's plan. This is what it means to trust in God and not our own understanding. Now, Tim Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, says this. He says that we don't know what God is doing. How many of you agree with that? We don't know what God is doing, every single detail. We don't know what God is doing. But if God has purposed everything, if he's working at his own purpose in the world, that means that God is doing something even within tragedies that happen among people and in calamitous situations. Keller illustrates this by saying that it is possible that some of the things that happen in our life that limit us from doing things may be God's way of keeping us from doing some greater evil. Because God is working. He's working. Keller basically says, we have to trust God's plan and not trust our limited understanding of things because God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God knows all things. So we have to trust God. And now when you read the book of Proverbs, this is Solomon talking to his son Rehoboam. And he's telling Rehoboam, Rehoboam, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on what you can understand. Lean on God. Lean on Him. Trust Him. Now, verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge Him. You see, when you become a Christian, you are calling on the name of the Lord Jesus. You're saying, you are the Lord. You are the Master. This is an acknowledgement of His position in our life. And what we need to do is acknowledge Him as our Lord as our master, as our sovereign, as our king, and obey him. In all your ways, in all that you do, acknowledge him. Which would mean three, there's three implications from this, okay? Number one is we should obey his plain commands. I'm amazed. I talk to a lot of Christians, and a lot of Christians are really worried about doing stuff that, to me, are like just kind of gray, but they ignore the black and white stuff. The obvious stuff. The plain commands of Scripture. If you as a Christian will take up God's Word and just try to obey the plain commands of Scripture, you're gonna do, your life's going to work out a lot better than you think it will. Because we don't think God can be trusted, do we? Do we? Do we trust God or not? If you trust God, you must obey God. Right? Obey God. Obey His commands. It's just obey Him. The second implication is we have to have confidence in God. In other words, confidence is a, is a funny word. It's from Latin, confide, which means with faith. With faith and trust in God. And the third thing is we have to trust His purpose for our future. 
for our future. Now, I, I hate to do this. I wonder what time it is. 11.30? Pretty close. What time should I quit? 12.30? <laughs> if it's 11.30, we got plenty of time. I'm going to turn my clock here because I want to be sure I leave time for something. Now somebody says 11.25. Okay. Round numbers. <laughs> so, in, in August, in April, of, in April of 2021, it became obvious to me that I was not going to be able to stay at my church where I pastor in Oklahoma. April 2021. I wasn't going to be able to stay there. So things are happening. If you want to know more about it, I'll tell you, I'll tell you on the side. But it became obvious to me I wasn't able to stay there. Some things were shaking out that were not going to work out. So, mostly economics. So, uh, by June, I realized that we're going to have to leave, leave Oklahoma. And I don't want to leave Oklahoma. I like Oklahoma. I like Oklahoma because there ain't no snow. They've been wearing shorts for three months. I didn't even have a heavy winter coat. <laughs> I mean, and, they, and I live close to good fishing. So <laughs> my priorities are always right. So Valerie and I, we have a little chat. And I, and I said, look, you know, here's, what's, here's, what, here's what the deal is. And she said, Terry, you know, whatever you think you need to do, I'm in. You know, she's on my side 100%. Thank God for a wife like that, amen? And you guys, I know a lot of you guys have wives just as devoted to you who have just followed you around, you know, all the things you tried to do. But she said, we, we, and so she said, I'm in. I said, all right, so we got to sell our house. So she had, she had through the providence of God, started going to college, and she, in one of her classes, she started taking a class with a man who was a realtor, one of the top realtors in our area. And so she says, hey, I'll talk to, uh, oh, what's his name? And, and so he comes over, and now I thought nobody's going to buy our ratty old house. It wasn't ratty, but, you know. That, when you start thinking about selling something, you start seeing all the flaws in it. I thought nobody's going to buy our house. He comes over, looks at it, and he says, this is going to sell quick. And I said, well, what can we sell it for? I'm hoping just to get my money back out of it. And he says, he tells me what's going to, he probably could sell for. I'm like, Pfft. of course, we all know the housing market's been crazy. But if you're, if you're selling, it's good for you. If you're buying, <laughs> not quite the same. But he told, he told me, and I said, okay. And so we sell the house. July 4th, he comes over, we, house is sold. And you, gotta, you have closing time now. In July, by, by that time, by the time we sold the house, I didn't know where we were going to go. I don't know. I had no church lineup to go to. I had no job lineup to go to. We had to go somewhere, right? And so we went to Wisconsin. I interviewed at a church for a job. I interviewed for a job at a church in Wisconsin, in the thumb of Wisconsin. You guys know where the thumb of Wisconsin is? If you think Sheboygan is small, that is microscopic over there. The, the, the church parsonage there was like a mile from Gill's Rock. Have you ever been to Gill's Rock? The tip of the, what, 
Yeah, I wouldn't go. <clears throat> I wouldn't go. And so we came, we went out there, and, you know, because they, they told me, I turned them down. I said, I don't want to come up there. And they said, hey, we actually, I said, I'm, I don't want to go there. And they said, we think you're a great fit. And so I thought, well, I hate to turn, if they like me, I hate to turn it down. So went out there, interviewed Valerie and I. We weren't there just a few hours. And we, we met the church board, some of the church board, public committee, and, you know. Valerie is much smarter than I am. And she said, uh, Terry, it ain't going to work. <laughs> you ain't going to make it there. You know? So, because she knows me. <laughs> and so, I withdrew from that. While we were there, I had already been in communication with the church in Michigan. In a little town called Sheboygan. And I'd, I'd had a, we hadn't had, we hadn't had any like official interviews, but through the, through the application process and all that kind of stuff. And when I first read about Sheboygan, I thought I'm probably gonna, I, th- I thought maybe that's the place, I thought that's where I'm gonna wind up is Sheboygan. And so I began to to cut my arms and wear sackcloth and ashes. <laughs> well, I thought I'm probably gonna wind up there. I think that's probably the place that we're gonna wind up. And so. Uh, I had just been communicating with Jim Ackerman. Jim's sitting right there through email, and I sent him my stuff, you know, and a questionnaire he sent back. And then, uh, you know, <laughs> my house is sold. <laughs> and I reach out to Jim and say, you know, Jim, I said, you know, have, have you guys made a decision? Because the way it works is when you apply for jobs at church, just like any other kind of job, you know, you send your information, and they, they look at it, and if, you know, sometimes they eliminate you and let you know, we, we passed you over. I, I reached out to Jim. I said, Jim, you guys made, have you guys made a decision? Am I still in the running up there, et cetera? And Jim, I got nothing from Jim. And then probably, I don't know, maybe I reached, maybe I sent one more email, Jim. I don't know if you remember. Maybe one more email. And then Jim wrote back, and he said, Terry, you know, we decided to go with somebody else. And I thought, oh, what am I going to do now? My house is sold got to go somewhere I told Valerie I said look when we sell the house I said we'll just be like the we'll just be like vagabonds we'll put all our stuff in storage and just travel America don't you girls wish we had done that just (laughs) just in the minivan traveling America you know seeing the sights and she's, like, and, I, and she's like, we can't do that. I said, well, we can move in with your mom. And she's like, Lord, give us a home. <laughs> so then I, got, then I got an email from Jim. And he said, look, we, we, we passed you over, but we'd like to t- talk to you again. So we had a phone conversation. Then all of a sudden, just... Bam, 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 bam. Here I am. Our house closed just a couple weeks after we got here. So they wanted to get up here before school started. But you know, I'm going to tell, tell you something. A couple times I thought, Lord, I don't, I don't know what you're doing here. I mean, when your house is sold, I mean, you can't get it back. That guy wanted the house, you know. But it's just... I knew I knew what God was I knew I know what God wants me to do with my life to be a pastor. 
I know I'm trying to serve him and, and trust in him. I'm trying to do the right things. And here I am at, your, at, at this church. Now, you may be glad or happy about that. I don't know. Hopefully you're still happy about it. And you'll be happy about it for a long time. Lord, it's the people. How, about, how long shall I bear with these people? <laughs> to quote Moses. <laughs> but I just say that to you to say that in my own life, I've, you trust God. You don't really know how it's going to work out. When I, you know, and just the, the Lord, he's, he's going to help you. And when you don't know for sure, just trust him. Just trust him. Now, it, had, it hasn't been, you know, there's been, there's been, it wasn't without any difficulties, this transition. It hasn't been without hard times. But the Lord has gotten us through to this point. Now, compared to some of the things you guys are going through in your lives, what I subscribe to you seems very small. Just normal, regular stuff. But some of you have been through much bigger things and are going through much bigger things. And I say to you, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will guide you and direct you and be with you in those paths because it's his path for your life. It's his path for your life. And when you walk down his path for your life, he's there. He's there with you. He's there with you. Let's make a prayer together. Father, I offer up this short sermon to you for the help of your people. And Lord, I pray that their hearts have been turned towards you in a new way. And they'll trust you. That they'll trust you. And Lord, if there's a, a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who has not put their personal faith in you, in your son Jesus as their savior, I pray you would turn their hearts to him. The scripture says that all who call upon Christ will be saved. I pray that they would turn and call upon him. Nor for those who are Christians and their understanding of things has gotten them defeated, distracted, and depressed, Lord, that they would turn their hearts and eyes to you and trust you, to trust in you. I pray these things in Jesus' holy and glorious name. Amen.